This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I just finished up a wonderful interview with Dr. Beth Dupriest. She's a clinical researcher and she does a lot of work in the vaginal microbiome space. And I reached out to her because I have a number of patients that are struggling with issues in this area right now. And they're just being bounced from doctor to doctor given antibiotic after antibiotic and I thought we needed a little bit more insight as a community as a population as a as doctors as patients to really understand the inner workings of the vaginal microbiome understand why there's all these different disorders like bacterial vagin- vaginitis and um, conditions like vestibulitis and others that are related to the vaginal microbiome. And also there's a lot of information out there about having your vaginal microbiome be healthy for maternity. So I just really needed someone to clean up some of the um, confusion that I had and also some of the confusion that was out there um, from my, my patients. So it was a great conversation. I think you'll like how we go into the different aspects of the vaginal microbiome, such as the makeup of a healthy microbiome. We also look at all different types of conditions that are related to vaginal dysbiosis. We talk about testing. We talk about various treatment that's out there and things that are fads, such as whether to wash or not wash. We go into a number of different details. So please, uh, enjoy the episode. Let me know what you think. Please share it with your friends and loved ones and people that you know are struggling with these kinds of concerns. Also, please make sure you look down below. I'm, um, I posted some sponsor links for you to click on and hopefully participate in. And, uh, this podcast remains to be free for everybody. Um, and I would like to continue to do that. So please, um, support the sponsor links below and uh without further ado welcome to the next episode of the one thing podcast i'm here today with dr elizabeth dupriest and i am delighted to have you here with us welcome to the one thing podcast Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Yes, uh, it is. And um, I know we were catching up before that we're actually living in the same state and enjoying the same rainy weather today. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a gray, gray Halloween day here. Yes, and we needed the rain. So absolutely. 
I, I think this year there's less complaining about the rain. <laughs> that, that's true. It, it's not often you see uh, people in the Pacific Northwest being excited about the rain, but once it started, we, we were definitely happy for it. Exactly. Well, um, I'd love to just get to know you a little bit. We, we've actually just met through social media, so um, we don't know a whole lot about each other, but I know your background, but I'd love to hear more about, you know, sort of you know, your what you do and um, a little bit about the company you're working with and just how you got into um, the microbiome research world. Yeah, so I have what I would consider a non-traditional route to where I am now. Um, so currently I'm the chief science officer for a, a femtech, biotech, uh, pseudo startup company called Vaginal Biome Science. And of course, we focus on all things vaginal microbiome. Um, so non-traditional in the sense, I have a PhD in integrated biomedical science and a postdoctoral research fellowship, both from Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. Uh, and after that, mm-hmm. I became a biology professor at a small liberal arts college uh, in Portland um, and worked my way up into administration to become the dean of my division of natural sciences and health. And at some point, I realized higher ed was not my future uh, and decided I wanted to make a transition into industry. And so um, the basically the, the job I, I landed in um, includes, it incorporates my, my administrative skills, but also my research background coming from a women's health perspective. I used to study uh, what we call developmental origins of health and disease. Um, so that's the concept that... Um, what happens to a baby while they're developing in the womb or during early childhood that programs an individual for increased risk of chronic diseases later in life. And so I studied hypertension and metabolic syndrome, but all from a maternal health kind of perspective. So that women's health perspective and my, my admin and my biology background kind of come together. And um, when I met Wendy Stragar, the, the founder and CEO of Vaginal Biome Science, it was a really great fit um, because I believe in the mission of the company and it gets, you know, I'm a little bit ADD sometimes. And so having having uh, exposure to a, a broad range of topics is always interesting to me. So uh, we get to study lots and lots of yeah. things related to the vaginal microbiome. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the vaginal microbiome is a topic that we hear more and more about uh, in a lot of circles, a lot of times in um, the worlds of maternity and uh, maternity health. Uh, can you just give us like the broader context of um, how the vaginal microbiome is being viewed in, in health, um, just in all the different domains? Sure. So the vaginal microbiome is definitely important for maternal health, but we never want to forget that it's important for women's health, regardless of, you know, reproductive status too. So um, when the vaginal microbiome is um, healthy, people never think about it. But when it's unhealthy, it causes diseases like bacterial vaginosis, um, aerobic vaginitis, desquamative inflammatory vaginitis, um, and even to some degree, yeast infections can be associated with, um, you know, dysbiosis of the vaginal microbiome. And then, you know, people are starting to learn more and more all the time about other women's health conditions that are somehow related to the vaginal microbiome, but it's a little bit less well understood. So I was just reading about endometriosis today being involved in the microbiome somehow. Yeah. 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 And so what, what are the key problems that have been identified as far as, you know, why we should really be thinking more about testing, assessing, and treating um, the vaginal microbiome? 
Yeah. So, um, I'll start with the the maternal health perspective again. So it there have been yeah. a lot of studies, lots and lots of research showing that women who have um, a dysbiosis of some sort before pregnancy, they enter pregnancy with an increased risk of all sorts of conditions related to fertility, pregnancy, delivery. So, so for example, um, women just have trouble getting pregnant. They have increased rates of miscarriage. Uh, they have um, premature rupture of membranes. They can have uh, preterm delivery, uh, delivery of low birth weight babies, increased risk of chorioamnionitis, maternal infections, neonatal infections. All of those things are associated with um, uh, dysbiosis, specifically bacterial vaginosis, um, but also group B strep is a big one um, that's involved in those kinds of consequences. But even outside of the, the realm of pregnancy, um, women who have BV and other dysbioses are at increased risk for sexually transmitted infections, HIV, HPV, uh, simplex virus, um, you know, all of the uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea also, you know, all of the, the STIs increased risk. And that has to do with how the, the bacteria in the vaginal microbiome are breaking down the vaginal tissue itself, making it more susceptible to infection. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> really, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's fascinating because I think, you know, people who have listened to this podcast, I've heard many times about the different interactions between the gut and other systems of the body. Mm-hmm. And, and now the, I guess we, one, one of the axes we look at is the gut endocrine axis. And um, can you talk about like anatomically, just physio- physiologically, how that links together? I mean, I think people probably can get it conceptually, conceptually, but it would be great to hear a little bit more from your views how there's such an interface between the gut and the endocrine system. So that's the gut. I'll, I'll be honest. The gut is a little bit outside of my purview. Um, but what does relate in some ways, if you've heard about the um, estrobolome, the, the way that estrogen gets recycled yeah. through the body, right? So, so that relates a yeah. lot. And that, that is thought of as a connection between the gut microbiome and the vaginal microbiome to some degree, because the vaginal microbiome is so dependent on estrogen. Uh, for its health. So mm. um, so the, the gut microbiome and the vaginal microbiome in some ways are connected. And so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that because I, I know a little bit more about that than the gut and the endocrine system on its own. But um, yeah. the concept of having estrogen recycling happening in the gut, that can increase levels of estrogen throughout the body. Estrogen is important for helping the vaginal lining of the epithelium develop and mature. And as those cells mature, they produce glycogen. That glycogen, as the cells naturally slough off and die, just like skin cells, um, the glycogen spills out, it gets degraded and serves as food for the lactobacilli that are that make up a healthy vaginal microbiome. Mm. And so having that estrogen is really important for having a healthy lactobacillus colony. Um, so for example, after menopause, women don't have that estrogen uh, as much. And so the vaginal microbiome shifts, right, um, to an, an unhealthier state is what it's thought to be. Um, but at the same time, the, the bacteria that are in the gut, um, there's no matter how clean, how hygienic you are, there is some transmission of fecal um, microbes into the vagina, just 
there is. And that's actually the basis for how some some companies are making oral probiotics that are designed to support vaginal health. And that's that's the concept there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so the idea is that if you have some lactobacilli in the gut, that those will colonize the vagina. Um, it, 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 works, sure. it works to some degree. Um, but really having having a, a healthy vaginal milieu is re- what's really important to support vaginal microbe microbiome health. So I know that didn't exactly answer your question, <laughs> but, um, no, it did. It added okay. a lot to what I had never heard about. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, you know, I've always, I've heard about, you know, this, um, issue with, um, reuptake of estrogen from the gut and, and dysbiosis and maybe, um, just sort of, a the estrabolome dysregulation, um, and so mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating because I'm hearing more and more women coming to me that are having problems getting pregnant um, and they are getting the message from certain circles that they should work on cleaning up their gut um, as a, as a mode of all the different things they're, they're doing to attempt for, um, to have successful conception. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it, I think it's becoming more and more, um, accepted and there's more and more awareness mm-hmm. that there's an interconnection. There, there really is. I think, I think cleaning up the gut is important. I also know that, um, and I, I don't know which patients you're seeing who are talking about that, but um, an unhealthy body mass index or body weight is also connected with infertility because of the action of leptin, um, leptin resistance in particular. I know that from 20 years ago in graduate school. Um, and so, you know, the things, mm-hmm. the same things you do to clean up your gut are the same things that you do to improve your leptin sensitivity. And so for me, that's where my brain goes mm. when I think about, you know, um, eating healthy, uh, for example. Um, but at the same time, um, I also know that there are um, fertility specialists out there who, um, before they do intrauterine insemination or other assisted reproductive techniques, some of them are regularly sampling the endometrial biome. So this is not just the vaginal biome, but the actual endometrial biome. Uh, and if there are disruptions in that biome, they will um, recommend courses of action to correct the vaginal microbiome, assuming that will have ascending effects and help the, the endometrial microbiome to correct itself. Um, and it seems that that improves chances of conception for, for many women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's talk about, you've talked a little bit about the you know, components of uh, dysregulator, dysbiotic vaginal microbiome, and maybe one that's more balanced. Can we go a little bit more into that? Just, you mentioned lactobacilli. Mm-hmm. Are there other features of a healthy vaginal microbiome that um, you would, you look for? Yeah, absolutely. So so, you know, we've talked a little bit about how the gut and the vagina are like similar. They both have a microbiome, um, but there are actually some really big distinctions between them. So when you think about a healthy gut microbiome, you want to have a lot of diversity. You want to have a lot of different bacterial species. In the vagina, it's totally the opposite. You really want to have one dominant species, and it should be one of just a handful of different lactobacillus species. So the one that's most commonly mm-hmm. observed is lactobacillus crispatus. But there are a couple others, Lactobacillus jensenii, Lactobacillus gasseri. Those are the other more common healthy species. But usually you want to have like 70, 80, 90% of your vaginal microbiome as that one single dominant species. Um, and then 
that's that's considered a healthy microbiome. What the lactobacilli do, they're called um, lactobacilli in part because they produce lactic acid as a metabolic waste product. So they're eating this mm-hmm. glycogen and they're producing lactic acid as a waste and that acidifies the vagina. So a healthy vaginal microbiome is one that creates uh, a vaginal pH somewhere between 3.5 and 4.5. So um, usually we see 4 to 4.2 mm. in that range for a healthy vaginal pH. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a marker of a healthy vaginal microbiome that's really easy to do in, in office. You literally just use pH paper and see what the, what the pH is. And that's a pretty good indicator, although not, not entirely. So, um, so that, that's really the, mm-hmm. the special thing is you want to have one healthy species, um, you want to have a low pH and that's, that's kind of the secret sauce and it's not that big a secret either these days. So, yeah, but I, a lot of, you know, women struggle with reaching that. So, it, you know, it's obviously, um, very difficult for, you know, to, in certain populations or certain conditions or, um, so you mentioned low estrogen states and other risk factors for, these uh, imbalances. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other risk factors that we should know about um, to uh, such as I'm, I'm thinking of like people who use certain um, beauty products or certain um, lifestyle habits, or, you know, maybe you can just kind of jump in on that a little bit and tell us because other people who are more at risk for having an imbalance yeah, in the microbiome. Absolutely. And there are, actually, there's a, a, a lot of different things that we can talk about here. Um, the, the plain answer is that all women are at risk for vaginal dysbiosis. Most women have a dysbiosis at some point in their life, whether that's BV, recurrent UTIs, which are related to vaginal dysbiosis, um, AV, yeast infections. Most women have something like that. Um, but a lot of women, healthier women, will have an episode and then they'll spring back and be healthy again. There are women who have recurrent episodes of BV over and over and over again, And so those women um, tend not to harbor those healthy lactobacilli. We don't know exactly why that is, but there are some risk factors. So so first of all, in terms of um, product usage, douching is like, don't douche, (laughs) don't douche, don't douche. I can't get Mm. that message across strongly enough. There's never a reason to douche. (laughs) So um, at least not from my perspective. Because what douching will do is it'll wipe out any of the healthy bacteria that are there. But also just because of the mechanical forces involved in douching, if there are bad, unhealthy bacteria, it'll push them higher up in the reproductive tract. You don't want that. Mm. So, um, wow. so yeah, so douching is just not, not something you want to do. Um, even, you know, I've, I've heard recently, uh, I saw a TikTok video uh, encouraging women to douche with vinegar when they have a yeast infection and that'll get rid of it. Well, I mean, the idea there is that it's Mm. acidic and so it'll restore the acidity of the vagina, but it's not, not a good idea. Not a good idea. There are other ways to achieve what you want to do. Um, Mm. So, so douching, um, using uh, lubricants that are hyperosmolar is a really big risk factor for BV. So the idea there is that there are a lot of vaginal products on the market that um, in order to make the right texture and the right, the right feel for these products, they're designed um, to have a very high concentration of glycols and other kinds of ingredients. And it's, it's not anything toxic in particular about the molecules themselves. It's the concentration it makes them hyperosmolar, which means they draw water out of the tissues 
dehydrates those cells, kills those cells, and it makes the lining of the, the vaginal um, epithelium slough off. It kills it. Um, and that increases, um, increases susceptibility to all those STIs I talked about before um, and increases your risk of bacterial vaginosis because at this point, you don't have those nice, rich glycogen-filled cells anymore to feed those lactobacilli. Um, so that that mm -hmm. big risk factors those hyperosmolar lubricants and vaginal moisturizers, um, but also you know products like Vagisil, um, you know any any kind of wash that's really harsh um, or that has chemicals that are going to be killing off the lactobac uh, the lactobacilli. Those are things to watch out for too. I'm not saying don't use any hygiene products. I think there are some really well-designed um, washes on the market, um, but they should be gentle. They should be pH balanced. They should be osmotically balanced. Um, so um, th those are some things. Swimming, exercising, and sit around, sitting around in sweaty clothes, those are triggers. Um, even sex and menstruation can be triggers for dysbiosis for many women. Um, every time a woman has her period, um, the microbiome shifts a little bit. If you're healthy, it'll come back. If you're not healthy, it can put you into an episode of BV. So there are all sorts of triggers that women have to have to deal with. Um, some of them being natural, some of them being product based. Yeah. And then um, th the last piece to add here is for whatever reason, and we don't know why, um, studies have shown some demographic um, um, differences in terms of who's susceptible to BV and who isn't. And so um, in the United States, studies have shown that African-American women and Hispanic women are at higher risk of BV. And studies from Africa have also shown that African women have increased um, risk of BV. Um, we don't know why. Um, we just know that these differences exist for some reason. So, um, yeah, so it's important for women to know what their triggers are if there's someone who has repeated episodes to try to avoid those triggers or to try to manage um, when those triggers happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's go into the testing aspect of um, the vaginal microbiome a little bit. So first of all, just from a big picture standpoint, can you just give us sort of the history of vaginal microbiome testing just in a nutshell? Like when did it first come on the scene? What did it start with and where is it now? Yeah. So, so the history is that the vaginal microbiome has been tested using microscopic methods like Nugent scoring, which is based on the gram stain. Um, that's been around for a very long time. I can't tell you the exact dates, a uh, very long time. Yeah. Um, but Nugent, <laughs> yeah. Nugent scoring has its limitations. And so PCR based methods were developed, uh, you know, a few decades ago, those do a pretty good job. They have very good sensitivity and specificity in women who are symptomatic. Um, and so, you know, BV tests, yeast tests, trichomoniasis tests, those, those are all pretty good tests at this point. Um, clinically speaking, those are really good tests. For research purposes, you know, PCR-based or nucleic acid tests can only test for what you know to tell it to look for. So you design a specific mm -hmm. target. Mm -hmm. But what we're finding with um, bacterial vaginosis and dysbiosis in general what we thought we knew about the microbiome from the decades of microscopy-based research is that if you can't culture a microbe in a dish, you can't study it. And so there are tons and tons mm -hmm. of species that live in the vagina that are not able to be cultured. They're fastidious microorganisms. But 
with recent technology, we can detect the presence of these bacteria that can't otherwise be studied. So now next generation sequencing and whole, se uh, whole genome sequencing approaches are used to give scientists a better picture of all the, the bacterial species that might be present in a woman's microbiome. Um, so those are great for research, but for clinical purposes, I'm not a huge fan of them because they overload both the patient and the clinician with extraneous information that's not really useful. Is it really helpful to know that you have 1% abundance of this obscure species that nobody knows what it does? It's probably not helpful. It's distracting. So I think that PCR-based mm -hmm. tests are great for clinical um, use, um, but for research, I love the whole genome sequencing approaches because you can get every single nu nucleotide that's there. Um, you can start to interpret function coming out of the specific genes that are being sequenced. So that's, that's great for research. Mm -hmm. Great. And so as far as the um, more targeted PCR testing that's looking for a specific, um, I guess, more known species or actionable, um, actionable information, mm -hmm. um, what about self-testing versus clinician testing? Is that, um, can you comment on that? Sure. Um, so there are a few companies out there that are offered direct-to-consumer at-home vaginal microbiome testing. Um, actually, we're partnering with one of those companies to do the whole genome sequencing for us. Um, it's a great technology. It does give you all that extraneous information. So if you're a consumer who just wants to know, do I have a healthy vaginal microbiome or not? Um, you're getting this list of all the microbes that, that you have and the companies do a pretty good job of interpreting the information for you, I have to say. So they, they, um, they, they do try to educate the consumer pretty well. But overall, I, I, think it's, I think it's a lot of extraneous information that women don't necessarily need. Um, but I, I think it can be useful, especially for women who have struggled for years and years, they can't get their vaginal microbiome, you know, the way they want it. And, and they know that because they're having symptoms, right? They're having discharge or an unusual strong odor, or they're having itching, or they're having uh, pain or all sorts of different symptoms that women can have. Um, and they've gone to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they can't get an answer, or they've been on antibiotics six times in the last year or two. Um, I think from that perspective, getting more information about what your vaginal microbiome is can be helpful. The challenge is that, like I mentioned earlier, there are all these triggers that will disrupt your microbiome. So, um, you know, you have, you have your period and then it takes three days to get, to get back to your normal microbiome. Or um, you go swimming and it gets disrupted or you have sex and it gets disrupted. Um, so... Anytime you do an at-home, anytime you do any microbiome test, it's a snapshot, one specific point in time. And for women, especially in their cycling years, it can change from day to day to day to day. And so your microbiome picture today might not be the same as it is next week. And so, you know, depending on how long it takes to get your results back, those results could be informative or they might not be. And so testing regularly, <laughs> excuse me, testing regularly is what seems to make the most sense, but that gets expensive. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if someone is at home and they're, you know, sort of struggling with some of these issues we mentioned, like how would they, how would they go about using this information? You know, let's say they did a test. Mm -hmm. um, are there, steps that they're usually 
they can take that, um, you know, I, I guess there's probably probiotics and things like that. I'd love to hear what some of the solutions are because I know a lot of times um, when people um, are not are reaching dead ends with their provider, they might do some testing on themselves or they might reach out to some of the opportunities that are available online. And then they bring that information to their provider and the provider's like, I, I don't I don't know how to use this data. And then they're back on their own again. Yeah. Um, what would you say to someone like that um, that's kind of like in that boat? Well, that's exactly why vaginal biome science exists, <laughs> to be honest, is to give agency to those women. Hmm. Um, so um, vaginal biome science, we do a lot of clinical studies uh, among other things, um, but where we test um, over-the-counter products to see if they can actually help prevent recurrence of BV, uh, recurrent UTI, um, a variety of a variety of other conditions too. And so the the main product system that we test consists of a, a, um, a vulvar wash, an external feminine wash, um, an intravaginal moisturizer, and then a vaginal probiotic. Um, and we, we think that, well, we have evidence to suggest that using this system regularly over time um, prevents recurrence of bacterial vaginosis. There's actually an abstract that we already have published um, in a small, small group of women that shows that we can prevent recurrence of BV that way. Um, and so this system, you know, is designed to help both vulvar tissue and vaginal tissue to reestablish a healthy microbiome. So it has the right pH, it has the right osmolality, it has the right lactobacillus strains, it has a mix of those um, healthy native uh, vaginal strains. Um, and it's not just a matter of using a probiotic, and this is a vaginal suppository probiotic, not an oral pill at this point. Um, it's a combination of providing the right bacteria, but also providing the right environment so those bacteria can thrive. And so at least as long as women are using the, the system, it seems to be really helpful. Um, but there are those key things to think about that I mentioned, that the pH and the osmolality need to be right. It needs to be the right strains. Uh, a lot of the products out there in terms of probiotics that you see are gut-related strains. So lactobacillus acidophilus, for example, being the main strain. It's great for the gut. And, and to some degree, it can be found in healthy vaginal microbiomes, but it's not one that... Uh, seems to have evolved to be a primary uh, strain in the vagina. So um, looking for lactobacillus crispatus, Jensenii, Gasserie, those are good ones. That seems really useful having like a system, you know, to follow that looks at, you know, the, the pathophysiology from more of a holistic perspective mm -hmm. versus, you know, women who struggle with recurrent, um, vaginosis or bacterial vaginitis, um, they're just given antibiotic after antibiotic after antibiotic, yeah. you know, and it is. It's, it's like, okay, if that's not working, something's in the strategies missing. And also the, the resistance to antibiotic use goes up. So it's really refreshing to hear yeah. that there's more thought that you're putting into this. Ab absolutely. Um, I'm, like I said, I mean, we exist specifically because we know so many women who've struggled for so long this way, but it's also worth mentioning that. So I've, I've been with the company for about 16 months. That um, That's how long the company has been in existence. And I have learned so much in that time about 
the education that healthcare providers get about the vaginal microbiome and vaginosis and vaginitis conditions. And it is sadly just not enough. Even gynecologists in their training are not getting enough um, education about how to treat vaginal conditions. Uh, it seems like because, I mean, the female reproductive tract is pretty complex, right? The ovaries, the uterus, I, there's so many cycles that you have to understand that interact with each other. And the vagina just often is thought of as just a passive conduit. It's the way that semen gets in and babies get out, right? And that's kind of all the attention yeah, that's given. Yeah. Um, but when you think about what a big influence it has on women's health day to day, that so many women just avoid sex because it's too painful because they have whatever symptoms going on. Women miss work because of yeast infections and UTIs and vaginal conditions. Um, there's a huge economic burden, a huge personal, physical burden of suffering that women tolerate because the only, the only tools that doctors have to give them are antibiotics and steroids. Like that's, that's kind of it. Um, right. And so we're trying, trying to move the needle on that and give women agency to take control of their own health. But the point I was trying to make in the beginning is that not all gynecologists even recognize um, all the nuances of the vaginal microbiome. So going to a specialist, yeah. you're likely to get someone who's going to tease out, well, you have AV, you don't have BV. Or, you know, what you thought was a recurrent yeast infection, that's actually BV. So, um, you know, women, women sometimes can self-diagnose, sometimes they can't, right? Because the, the, the symptoms of all these different conditions can look pretty similar. And if you've only had one of them, you don't have a comparison. It can be hard to tell what you really have. So I would, I would say, like, if you're a woman who's had a hard time finding a specialist, finding someone who really knows what they're talking about in terms of vaginal health can be a first step. But understanding your, your, your own microbiome through a direct-to-consumer test, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, too. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're at a point where there aren't enough providers out there that do understand right. um, these nuances. So right. um, it's... And a lot of times the patients are bringing information to the providers about things that they've learned. And mm -hmm. I personally have benefited from that from a number of my patients is just mm -hmm. sharing insight. And I think when selecting a provider, that's even maybe even the most important thing is to have providers that are open to learning and exploring with you right? Um, versus them knowing the knowledge because um they might be um, informed and say it's a gynecologist that you could help them with their in uh, learning process too. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not just uh, one way. That's true. That's absolutely true. And having, having a healthcare provider who's going to partner with you in whatever you're experiencing, that's, that's almost more important than the training, but, but yeah, I mean, self-training yeah. from yeah. the healthcare provider's perspective is, is important. So, um, but Ideal. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that is really fascinating. And I think the, um, one of the, I guess, main topics you hear about the vaginal microbiome that you already discussed, and I don't want to, um, move on with the conversation without just touching on upon it a little bit is, you know, there's this whole pressure for women who are pregnant to have, you know, uh, their their vaginal microbiome just right for delivery. And of course, we know 
things don't always go as planned and there's, you know, a need for antibiotics and C-sections and other things that just, you know, you, things aren't just always perfect with, obviously with um, the delivery process. So what would you say to someone who's extremely anxious about their vaginal microbiome and making sure that their um, soon-to-be uh, delivery is, um, you know, kind of goes as planned and um, how, how does like the vaginal microbiome end up uh, impacting the, that first trimester and beyond, I'm sorry, the, not the first trimester, the fourth trimester, as we call it and beyond when the child's actually born. And yeah. So I did mention earlier in the podcast about, um, you know, the fact that it can be harder to get pregnant there's an increased risk for preterm delivery, low birth weight babies, maternal and neonatal infections when there is dysbiosis. But um, it's still important to understand that those are not, not all that common, right? So th- these are things I'm, you know, the r- rates of, of preterm delivery are higher than we'd like them to be in the United States. And the microbiome might play a role in that, but we don't know. But the other thing it, from, from my work, you know, my prior work in developmental origins of health and disease, I know that maternal anxiety itself can be, um, mm-hmm. can be, uh, it can have effects on the baby. And so you, you just have to remember that you're, you can control what you can control. The vaginal microbiome, to some extent, like I talked about some methods, um, some products that can be used to kind of adjust the vaginal microbiome, but, you know, the bacteria that you have are the bacteria you have to some to some degree. And so you want to be as healthy as you can. You want to be eating a great diet for a lot of reasons. Uh, you want to be taking care of vaginal health. But then, you know, we have Western medicine does great things these days. And so you trust your doctors, you trust your healthcare practitioners, um, you do your best, and then you try to relax. <laughs> you try to relax and enjoy, enjoy yeah. your pregnancy as much as you can. And just anticipating the fact that you're, you're going to give birth to this wonderful little bundle of joy. Right. So, um, that's, that's, that's kind of what I encourage. And I have known a lot of women who've had some, some really difficult births. And so I don't want to minimize that at all. I, I know there are risks associated with delivery and risks associated with everything. Um, but like I said, you control what you can control and then, and then you do your best meditate, pray, whatever it is that you do to give yourself some peace. That's what you do in my, my perspective, which is not very well informed, (laughs) but yeah. No, I, I get, I get that. I mean, I think, you know, people also have some ability if let's say that there is a C-section and, you know, say there's a difference of microbiome that's being transferred to um, the infant Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there is some ability to kind of work on things while breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, there's, it's not just like you have, you know, one chance to deliver a healthy microbiome to your infant. It's like, it, that's just, that's just, that's just the first chance. Right. And then, you know, you can, can learn from there. Right. And so, you know, and there, it's really fast. There are a lot of women who, um, you know, they have C-sections and then, they choose to do um, like an inoculation. Basically, they take a vaginal swab and they inoculate the baby all over with with the the microbes right. that they normally would have gotten by traveling through the, the birth canal. 
Um, there's not a lot of data on how effective that is, or, um, we're kind of like in the wild west, the frontier of understanding the effects of those kinds of interventions. Um, I mean, there are studies showing that babies born by C-section have different immune, um, activation patterns than babies born vaginally, but we don't know yet whether any kind of intervention modifies that. So if it's something you want to try, I don't think there's any harm in trying it. Um, but, but also, like you said, it's not, so a baby's microbiome develops over time through many, many, many exposures. Birth is one of them. Breastfeeding is one of them. Picking things up off the floor and putting them in their mouths is part of it. You know, uh, interacting with animals is yeah. part of it. The, the microbiome develops and develops and develops. And yes, I, I definitely understand critical windows of development where you want to have that first initial exposure be the right one. But, but again, um, I, I think there's a, there's a big push in America in, in certain segments to have the most optimum health possible. And that's, that's a, it, it's an unattainable goal. And the idea is to have the best right. you can to live the life you want to live. Right. And so nice. nobody ever has perfect yeah. health in every aspect of their body. And you have to be okay with that. Um, and once you kind of yeah. let yourself understand that none of us has a perfectly healthy body, but you live as healthy as you can live the life you want to have. Right. So, um, so I, I try to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very healthy outlook. You know, I always think about like, you know, when people are planning for a wedding, yeah. you know, it's like they, they have this view of like how the day is going to go. Yeah. And then, you know, a gust of wind blows the something down and, you yeah. know, like it never goes exactly how you, and, and you just kind of roll with it and you still, exactly. you still appreciate the moment. You still appreciate the process. Exactly. And then the day, you know, if you have, um, and I think it's, it's really healthy. What you're talking about is just doing your best, um, and trying to reduce the anxiety about the perfection aspect of it. Exactly. So easier said than done. Yes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, <laughs> so with, uh, with your work now, what are some of the projects you're currently working on? And can you, and can you tell us more about just sort of how people can work with you or work sure. with your company? That yeah. You just... So, um, you know, at Vaginal Biome Science, we, we do R&D work trying to develop and reformulate products um, to make them better for women. Um, but uh, what I spend most of my time on is clinical studies. And it it's honestly my favorite part of my job. Um, I just was able to hire a clinical research coordinator uh, just about a month ago. And so she's been a great addition to the team, um, helping me um, launch and, and support clinical studies. So, so, and that's really how people can partner with vaginal biome science is that we're always looking for um, um, people to run clinical sites for us. Uh, practitioners who have uh, women who come in with recurrent BB or recurrent UTI or um, genitourinary syndrome of menopause or vulvodynia, right? We're, we're looking at all of these different things, fertility even. Um, and so we have a, a study protocol. And I, I mentioned earlier that we're trying to understand whether shifting the microbiome using this, you know, these, these products, a wash, a, a vaginal gel and a probiotic, we know we can shift, well, 
actually we're still collecting the data on that, we can shift the vaginal microbiome, we can reduce symptoms, can we actually make an, uh, make an effect on certain um, clinical disease states or not? We're, we're trying to answer these questions for all those, those different areas I mentioned, and more even. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I mentioned, we're, we're always looking for partners um, to help us uh, set up new clinical sites. Um, we tend to do things pretty low tech, pretty low key with a lot of support um, and uh, <laughs> always on a shoestring budget. Um, but mm-hmm. it's what we're doing. It's, it's pretty simple. We want to know whether a vaginal hygiene system can actually affect women's lives. Right. So um, we never never want to go um, outside of routine care. So, you know, if a woman comes into a study with BV, she's going to get antibiotics first, and then she's going to start the protocol. We're not at the the place yet where we're telling women not to use antibiotics. Um, I still think Mm -hmm. there's a place for those for sure. Um, But I would love to reduce the the dependence on antibiotics. That's a whole global health issue that your your listeners probably know all about. Um, Yeah. But um, yeah, so clinical studies on, on all any type of vulvovaginal condition, to be honest. Uh, we're getting wow. ready to launch studies on lichen sclerosis. We'd love to do an endometriosis wow. study. Um, and we're even doing a study, we're close to finishing it up in the next few months on um, transgender women who've had uh, neovaginoplasties, um, seeing if we can mm-hmm. help develop a, a neovaginal microbiome that resembles a, a hmm. healthy cis vaginal microbiome. So hmm. all sorts of different things we're working on. Wow. Yeah. Um, are there any resources or books that you like people to, to refer people to um, or anything that is sort of like more layperson oriented that, or even um, hashtags to follow or websites or. <laughs> I am not you know. a social media person. So I, okay. can't, I can't tell you any hashtags or anything. Like okay. That. Um, and, and to be honest, my nose has been in all the journal articles. So uh, I do, I do think that there are, um, you, you know, so, so the two companies that I'm aware of that do at-home microbiome testing are Evie and Juno, and I think they uh, mm-hmm. produce some, some good content, especially Evie has been producing some good content to help women understand their vaginal microbiomes pretty well. Uh, but also, uh, in addition to vaginal microbiome science, um, we have a, a sister company, Shui, the Sexual Health and Wellness Institute. We do quarterly webinars. We have hmm. a pretty rich blog. And so uh, shui.org is a great website that you can go to um, to learn all about the, the vaginal microbiome Perfect. and everything related to it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And I'll put the links in the show notes for that. And um, that was, that's really helpful. I think it people who listen to this podcast are really into learning mm-hmm. and and so that'll be, I'm sure, really helpful for them. Absolutely. So, and you know, if people have questions, well, um, they're, they're, uh, I, I'm happy to answer questions by email. So people can reach out to me too. Excellent. Thank you so much, Beth. And um, so, any closing thoughts? Um, anything else you'd like to leave us with to, as a parting word? Um, so one thing I haven't uh, had a chance to talk about yet is the idea about the, the vagina being self-cleaning. And I, I do want to kind of address that, yeah. that topic because it's, it's out there. Um, women he, read about it. Um, gynecologists talk about it all the time. And in my, in my opinion, it's a little bit overdone. So 
The sense that the vagina is self-cleaning is accurate. If a woman has a period or she has sex, all of that, those fluids will come out eventually. That is true. Um, however, the vulva is not self-cleaning. And so the vulva gets exposed to all the things that are coming out of the vagina, right? Blood, semen, uh, also sweat, urine, feces. All of those things can be irritating to vulvar skin. They can be disruptive to the vulvar microbiome. Um, and um, there's, there's a reason that hygiene developed, right, um, over the course of human history. It is perfectly acceptable for a woman to engage in normal hygiene of the external tissues. That is fine. But you do want to be careful about the products you're choosing to do that. I mentioned earlier, um, you want them to, to have the right pH. You want them to be osmotically balanced. Um, you don't want them to have harsh toxic chemicals. So that's really important is to choose the right one, but we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So we don't, we, it's okay to clean yourself and it's okay to use a product to do that. Um, but the other thing about the vagina being self-cleaning is that there's a difference between being clean and healthy. So if you have two women, one who has a normal microbiome and one who has a, an unhealthy microbiome, they both have their period. They're both eventually going to have a clean vagina at the end of that but the woman with a healthy microbiome will be healthy again. And the woman with the unhealthy microbiome will still have an unhealthy microbiome after all of that, even mm -hmm. though the vagina is clean. And so helping mm -hmm. support a microbiome with some products is a good thing, even though the vagina is self-cleaning. And so I really like to draw that distinction because there is so much out there being anti-vaginal products or anti-vulvar products. And so I, I think it's, it's important to take kind of a, a moderate approach. That's very helpful. And, you know, I think just even mentioning vulvar health is, I think, going to be new to people because um, it's just, it's kind of overlooked in a lot of ways and um, the education and what people think about. Uh, so that is outstanding. This has been really educational and informative, and I'm sure it will help a lot of people who are listening to it. So thank you so much for, for all that you shared. Absolutely. Thanks for giving me a platform to do it. I love to talk about vulvovaginal health. So um, anytime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I look forward to future conversations as you learn more and more with the research. Absolutely. Will do. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from that. Forward the, the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.